0: Good morning church. Good morning. Good morning. If you want to follow along with me in your Bible we will turn to Genesis chapter 1 and we're going to look at texts from chapter 1 and chapter 3. Let's, let's bow together in prayer ask God's blessing. Righteous Father, though the world has not known you, yet you have caused us to know you through your Holy Son, Jesus Christ. We have no hope, O Lord. From the moment we entered this building, we had no hope to worship you rightly in ourselves, and yet already I can say confidently you have aided us by your glorious heavenly Spirit. So now, Lord, we ask, Simply that you would continue to do so as we proceed in the worship of you in the word of God. O Lord, we ask that you would grant to us that heavenly spirit who proceeds from you and from your son from all eternity. Who hovered over the waters at the beginning. He is our only confidence and we do not despair. We know that he will help according to your word according to your faithful love which lasts to a thousand generations O Lord God would you provide for your people now a banquet where perhaps I've only brought scraps we trust in you Lord we ask for your help come now uh, precious Holy Ghost and bless us in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory Amen. Amen brothers and sisters our culture has lost its mind we live in a culture that has lost its mind the younger people among us maybe assume that things have always been this way but go ahead i encourage you young folks ask some old people ask them what it was like when they were growing up i promise you it has not always been this way the fact is there was a time in our culture when the basic ideas of christianity were assumed even by non-Christians that resulted in cultural blessing because God very plainly blesses cultures to the extent that they observe his law but we live in hard times if American culture could be likened to a building first erected in the 18th century then we have to note two things first that building the rather the foundation of that building contained a lot of truth from the Word of God second For some time now, certain people have been working steadily to erode that foundation. And the building is tottering of American culture. Our culture is tottering. Some wings of it, of the building, have already crumbled to the ground. And I don't think the demolition is finished yet. Well, if it must be so, what is the Church of God to do in times like these? Christians have little power over the political process of our country. Yeah. The best political candidates usually are moral abominations. They're an embarrassment when compared with the word and the law and the gospel of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, there is no salvation in any political party, yes. but there is something the church can do. And it is this, the church can be the church. Yes. Amen. The church can be the church. If only the church really did stand and speak to the world as one wholly unified biblical institution, I tremble to think what we might accomplish. But the church at large does not stand and speak. The American church is weak, defiled, powerless, and compromised. Why is that? Several reasons, and we're just going to tackle one today. The church of God has largely abandoned the word of God as her only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. The church at large has ceased to love the scripture, to take her stand on the scripture as her great weapon and her only defense. And one reason for this is obvious. Our culture is very dark. They hate the truth of God. The Holy Bible is simply out of vogue. And here's the problem. We Christians are not of the world, but we certainly have to live in it. And day after day, we begin to take on the color of our surroundings like a chameleon. Let's admit it, brothers and sisters, we are tempted to despise the word of God as irrelevant to modern life. If not always in theory and in statement, yet certainly we are tempted at least in practice, but we can't let it happen. So the purpose of this sermon is just to refresh you in your admiration for the word of God. We should be stunned by scripture. We should glorify the word of the Lord. We must not merely believe it to be inspired and inerrant. Yes, of course, those things are true and you have to believe it if you would live. But we must see it even further as altogether lovely. We should marvel that we possess So great a treasure as the word of God now to that end I want to make two points about the word of God from Genesis chapters 1 to 3 we're going to start by reading the very beginning chapter 1 verses 1 to 5 so you're here in Genesis with me chapter 1 I'll read verses 1 to 5 this is the word of God it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Brothers, when a man builds a house, he uses his hands. But when God builds a world, he uses his voice. Notice it is through God's speech, through his very words that he creates everything. With his word of power, God makes the land, the sea, and the sky. He makes light in darkness. He makes the fish, the birds, and the cattle. He makes man and woman, and he also makes the heavens with their bodies. Not only does God create life with his word, but he establishes order, dividing up the world into neat categories such as earth and sky, dry land and sea. And my goal here is to raise the word of God in our estimation. To that end, I just want to make two points about this first text as we look at it, considering it in the light of the word of God. First, the word that made the worlds is the same word open in that book you're holding. It is the same word on that app you have open on your phone. The word of God made the heavens and the word of God was printed in the old and new testaments. That's That's the first point here. The second point from this text, Genesis 1, 1 through 5, is just this. Babies look like their mommies. Babies look like their mommies. The power that birthed planet Earth and the Milky Way galaxy And all of our universe is the Word of God. Envision the Word of God like a mother at the hospital, large with child. She writhes and screams and labor until her child is delivered. And her child is the whole universe. But if the Word of God is the mother who delivered the whole world, then the whole world must bear a striking resemblance to the Word of God because... Like produces like. The child resembles the mother. And the word of God produced the world. So this, we, we, need to, we need to hear this badly. This world is shaped after the pattern of the word of God. But if that is so, you will never grasp the significance, the meaning of this world, unless you take the trouble to study your Bible. You'll never understand the world rightly. That's my first point here in Genesis 1, to glorify God's word. The word of God is the foundation of everything. Let's look at Genesis 3. I'll start at verse 14. Read through 15. Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. You know the story. This is after the fall, the sin that they've committed. God now begins to deal out curses, starting with the serpent. Verse 14, And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So, what do we find in this text? We have a curse. But hidden within the curse of this text is a blessing for the whole world. Here, God curses the serpent who is being used by Satan to destroy mankind. And God paints a picture here in this verse. This, the image is of a serpent striking a man's heel with his fangs and the man responds by raising his foot and slamming it down, crushing the head of the serpent, killing him. Now God speaks of this conflict in terms of the woman's children and the serpent's children. And on the face of it, you could read this and just think that nothing more is being discussed beyond the fact that people and snakes aren't going to get along, but that is not the fullness of this text. We are right to see from later scripture, old and new testament that the conflict that's here being described is broadly the war between the church and the world and narrowly the battle between christ and satan what that means is that we have the promise of god in this verse that one day the seed of the woman will come and kill the serpent this verse has been called the first announcement of the gospel and rightly so Because Adam's sin opened the door for our world to become prey to Satan. And he has tormented us ever since. But the promise of God is that he'd send a man who would undo our curse. He would undo it specifically by bringing the devil to a bloody end. So here's the question. How does this glorify God's word? And again, I'll give you two ways. First, I told you this has long been considered the first announcement of the gospel. It's a promise of a coming deliverer. And if it's a gospel promise, my question to you is, what does God expect men to do with it? What does God want you to do with his promises? Believe Believe them. That's the answer. Believe them. God expects us to trust this. So it is the gospel promise of God in its earliest form. For any of the ancients to believe this promise was for them to become justified before God forgiven of all their sins so let me say it another way so far we see the word of god create and now we see the word of god redeem because whoever believes this redemptive word of god is saved so that's the first way this text glorifies the word of god by showing that the way god saves the world is through his word and our belief in that word of promise here's the second way When the time comes and God does send the Deliverer to kill the devil, what name does God give the Deliverer? John helps us here in his gospel. The Word. The Word. Christ, the Savior of the world, is named the Word of God. That that, That is worthy of fruitful meditation all by itself. Even if we said not another word. You know what that means, don't you? A man speaks. What what, what does it mean that Jesus is the word of God? A man speaks in order to reveal himself. As long as a man stays silent, you don't know what to make of him. But as soon as he opens his mouth, you understand what he thinks, what he wants, what he intends. When the man speaks, you understand finally who he is. And God has spoken. He has revealed who he is. And that revealing occurs in the written words of the Bible, but even more it occurs in the incarnation of the Son of God, who is the Father's greatest speech. Now, church, what more could be said after that to glorify the idea, the reality of the Word of God? I'm showing you here the intimate connection between the Bible and Christ himself. They are both both the word of God in different senses. So please tell me, after that, how could anybody be content with a low opinion of the scripture? Well, it is a problem. It's a problem in good churches. It's a bigger problem in bad churches. We need to consider if this is a sin that we need to repent of. Maybe you would ask yourself right now, if you're paying close attention to the sermon, maybe you'd ask, how do I know that that's me what signs are there that I esteem the scripture too lowly well let me give you a few telltale signs that may identify that you have this problem are you a dad who never reads the Bible to his kids are you a mother who's busy and never makes time to meditate on the word of God Are you a Christian content to never go deeper in your understanding of the Bible? Are you a churchgoer who disregards the preaching of God's word? Are you a Christian who has never considered how to apply scripture to your work, your employment? Are you a parent who doesn't even know which verses apply to raising your kids? Are you a citizen who doesn't care how the Bible would guide you in your political positions? Are you bored with the Bible? Would you rather read anything else, do anything else, than meditate prayerfully on the Old and New Testaments? If these things describe you, perhaps you are guilty of despising the Word of God. And I want to take just a moment to, to dive, dive a little deeper into why that might be. Let's consider for a few moments why we might despise Scripture. Scripture. Well, the most obvious cause of this sin is just plain old unbelief. Uh, God has told us that his word is glorious, but we wickedly disbelieve him. We have no good excuse to disbelieve him after all of his mighty works in scripture and in our lives, all of the blessing that he gives us to prove himself to us, that he can be trusted, but our hearts are wicked and we rebel against God. And so we don't believe what he has said about his word. Or perhaps we despise the scripture because we are absorbed with the world. One strong passion drives out another. Have you, have you experienced that? One strong passion drives out another. The man who is glutted on the flavors of this world has no taste for the things of God. Unless he can find hunting, fishing, football, or video games in the Bible, there's no way to get him interested. And, of course, I don't have anything against hunting and fishing and and what else did I say here? Football. Video games. We'll leave that out for the moment. But uh, these are good gifts that God gives us. It's usually the good gifts that are going to be the big problem. You know that, don't you? Christian people who are well-trained or smart enough to know they ought to stay away from the more grievous and gross sins. It won't be those, in many cases, that become the really dangerous idol. It will be something good, like family. Well, another reason for despising the Bible is just that it's difficult to understand. Uh, You know how we get mad at our spouses because they don't communicate well? Have you ever considered that it might be that you're a bad listener? Just, I know it's impossible, but just a thought. Brothers and sisters, if we don't understand the Bible, is that the fault of the Bible? Or are we obligated to apply ourselves in using the available tools for a better understanding? On the other hand, we may despise the Bible because we are intellectually proud, intellectual pride. We may find the style and the content to be below our exalted modern sensibilities. I remember how the first dozen times that I read Job and Proverbs as a first and non-Christian and then a very new Christian, I thought Job and Proverbs to be sort of pointless, even below me how the Lord has shown me to be a fool over the years as he has revealed to me the genius of those books. But we live in an arrogant age. We all know so much more than our fathers. Uh, We think the Bible to be a book for ancient benighted savages. That will cause us to despise it. By the way, I know that in general in here people do not think that about the Bible. But remember, the whole context here is the world in which we live and me starting to ah, uh, subtly absorb the attitudes, the feelings and thoughts of the wicked people around me. So we are tempted that way. Or may, maybe we simply have adopted some of those poisonous ideas of the world, and they make our love for Scripture weak and sickly. Now, I promise you that holding the doctrine, say, of evolution, will harm your love for the Word of God, and in many cases, We'll obliterate it altogether. Amen. Beware of making friends with demonic philosophies, yes. with ideas brewed in the pit of hell. The word of God and the word of man are never going to be at peace together any more than the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent are going to someday come to terms. Yes. That was the point. Amen. I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. That was the point it's this this is the great antithesis we're never going to get along at one point one group is going to be removed from the world and the other is going to inherit the earth and with them will go their ideas which are from hell now for some people men especially I think they despise the scripture simply because they never do anything but work they're too they're too exhausted to love it and by the way I know what it's like personally for years, to work 80 hours a week because I had no choice. But I also know what it's like to work more than I have to because of unbelief in my heart and because of wrong priorities. So take care, men, that you don't kill your love of Scripture for the sake of the great God, Mammon. On the flip side are people who despise the Scripture just because they're too lazy. To study it diligently would take too much effort. They think They have it all figured out anyway, and after all, there's nothing new for them to find. They're like the man in Proverbs who puts his hand into the bowl and is too lazy to bring it back out to his mouth. Diligence is required if we would esteem the scriptures rightly. You know, more concerning is the case of those who actually despise the scripture simply because they're ashamed of it. They can't afford to esteem the scripture too highly. What would their co-workers think? What would their unbelieving... Family members say if they quoted it openly as the solution to some question being discussed. If this is you, you are in danger. People who are ashamed of the precious words of God don't make it into the kingdom. And lastly, some despise scripture because they're not willing to follow it wherever it leads. They are smart enough to know that if they apply themselves to study and obey the scripture like Ezra, they may end up, having to do things they don't want to do these folks must look down on scripture lest they give it its rightful place in their lives and then they have to obey it brothers and sisters i think we can all see that somewhere in those corrections we all live i i have am guilty of probably every one of those temptations at some time or other so what is the solution for us when we know that we have sinfully despised the word of God. I'll give two parts to the solution and then, and then we'll actually be done. The first solution is faith in Christ. We have, let's own up to it together. I'll be our representative. You don't have to speak, but I'll just say it and I must. We have despised the word, the law, the gospel of God, and we need to be covered by a righteousness consequently, not our own. I know where we can find one because I happen to know a man who never once despised God's word his whole life. I know of a man who lived not on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This man always obeyed the word of God because he always does whatever pleases his father. When he was tempted by Satan, he relied only on the scriptures to defend him. For this man, an appeal to the Bible was the end of every dispute. Now, I'm telling you, this man loved the scriptures in accordance with their worth and did it all day long, every day to the absolute end. He does it still because he is alive. That's the first solution to our despising of scripture. We need forgiveness for it, we need blood to cover us, and I'm very glad to announce to you it is available to all who believe. Here's the second solution, and we close with this. If you are expressing disregard for the Bible by not enjoying it daily, I encourage you to devise a modest and reasonable plan to fix the problem. Set aside a meager 15 minutes a day, if that's the best that you can do to read the scripture. I have a hard time believing, except in the very exceptional cases, that there is anybody here who can't carve out 15 minutes in their day to devote to the holy word of God. If it's the best you can do, then do this. You'd be surprised how much you can actually get done over the course of a month or a year by just uh, dutifully carving out your 15 minutes and reading the scripture. It could be anything else. It could be a Christian book or something you want to accomplish. Uh, Do the numbers. You'd be amazed at what you can accomplish in just setting aside 15 minutes a day. Now, of course, if you're just setting aside 15 minutes a day for the Word of God, is that ideal? Of course not. That's not where we want to end up. Uh, This is just me saying, for the worst possible case, the person for whom this is the most difficult, do at least this. Set aside a meager 15 minutes. Read one chapter of the Old Testament. Read one chapter of the New Testament. Read slowly. Read slowly attentively and prayerfully open your heart to god and cry for understanding and i can tell you on the authority of the word of god he will hear you yes. he will answer and he will help yes. now brothers may god bless his forgiven people with a renewed passion for his eternal word by the power of his divine spirit lord bless you and amen amen, amen.